Welcome to the Better Business Podcast, a series for those business owner operators who want to create a better business. Here are your hosts, Chris and Mark. Hi, listeners. It's uh, Chris Pez and myself again with another Better Business Podcast. Today, uh, we're really happy to welcome Michelle Gamble, who runs a business called Marketing Angels, which we will get onto in just a very short moment. Meantime, Pez, how are you? Very well, Mark. How are you? Yep, pretty good. Um, I understand we're on a borrowed time with you a bit. Well, only because it's a public holiday in Melbourne today, because I think this is the second grand final Friday public holiday we've got in Melbourne. So it's 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 a remarkable year on many fronts. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's the grand final is the pivotal word there, isn't it? Yeah, grand final tomorrow. We've yep. got a public holiday in Melbourne today with the grand final being played in a nut, two states away tomorrow. So if you want to understand just how batshit crazy decision-making's got in Victoria, there it is in a nutshell. Yeah, right. So, um, so marital harmony remains just where it should in your house. So let's just rock it into this. Hmm. Michelle, how are you? I'm extremely well, Mark. Thank you. How are you? Ah, pretty good. You know, you and I both live in Manly. We do. And no complaints really at all. No, no. You've got a problem if you're complaining about life where we live, that's for sure. You do. So, uh, everybody, Michelle runs a business called Marketing Angels. Um, why we wanted to talk to her is this, that if you go onto a website, one of the leading headlines you will see there is doing a lot with a little. So um, I'm going to get Michelle to comment on that in a minute. But their sweet spot is working with small entrepreneurial brands who actually want to do something. So to kick off, Michelle, do you want to just talk about that for a minute? Sure. Uh, Well, Marketing Angels was really started because we saw a real gap in the market of, you know, businesses, um, smaller businesses who... What being approached by lots of different suppliers, someone saying you should advertise on radio, you guys should do PR, hey, you should start a website, um, you should do a bit of direct marketing. And, and what they didn't have was enough knowledge to make sense of all of that and to develop a marketing approach that was going to work for their business. So we have um, a bunch of consultants, we call our angels, who are senior marketers who come from, you know, pretty experienced in corporate backgrounds who work with small businesses to make sense of all the options out there and then help them, you know, create and execute an affordable marketing strategy that's going to work. Beautiful. When I, well, Chris and I always say we work with owner-operators, but they can be small, medium and not so mm. medium. Yeah. But when any one of those businesses comes to you or you go to them, however you end up meeting, do you ever have to hose them down a little bit in terms of what they think they can get with marketing yeah i i think sometimes people think that certain things are a bit of a silver bullet um so they might be you know focused on wanting to rebrand one part of their product range and thinking that that's going to solve all their problems or they want to you know get on social media or they want to do some google advertising or 
um, you know, they'll be looking at potentially, you know, one tactic or, or one product and, and thinking that that's going to, you know, solve all of their issues. And, and often it's about taking a step back and being a lot more strategic than that. When you do that, do you do a fact find in the business? Yeah, well, the first thing we do is just kind of, you know, listen. So the first thing we do is sort of try and understand what their challenges are from a business perspective and what has led them to um, look for help from a marketing point of view. So that way we kind of get, you know, a, a, an understanding of, of where they're at. Um, and then we'll talk about sort of our approach and, and how we would see that, you know, some of their challenge, how would we address some of their challenges sort of using our usual approach with business owners. And usually that is we don't tend to do anything with clients until we've sat down and spent quite a few hours with them one-on-one -on -one going through a structured process where we understand um, you know, what their objectives are around marketing, um, you know, what they want to get out of even the one-on-one the -on -one with us in terms of where they see the key challenges are. You know, we could spend hours talking about tactics and what they should be doing online or, you know, maybe we need to spend more time looking at their competitors and understanding how they want to position themselves. Right um, there, Michelle. Yeah. That point. Mm. Chris and I are always amused um, yeah. Talk to this point about exactly, or well, firstly, if these types of businesses do understand their position in the marketplace, um, we have I have some clients now who do. Uh, I was recently working with one who didn't know what positioning was, and we're into this discussion about three minutes, and he popped out his position and absolutely bowled me over, and he's mm -hmm. never used it publicly before. So my point is, um, how often do you strike that? That, that, that they don't understand the positioning or how often do you have to rejig their positioning or any way? Uh, I, like. I would say 80% of the time, if not 90% of the time, um, the positioning hasn't been nailed. Um, you know, they've started the business and they've just sort of come up with a tagline or a slogan and they've gotten going, gotten a few clients and customers. And then it's only when they get to a certain point where they you know, I understand that perhaps their marketing isn't effective as it could be, that they step back and take a look. So, you know, we've had businesses that have operated for years that are multi-generational businesses that have been very actively out there marketing themselves and getting ineffective results. And the thing that has changed the game or been the biggest game changer is actually changing their positioning. Mm, and you do that with them, obviously, as, as do Pez and I. Um, yeah. Yeah. Michelle. Um, yep. Hello. Hello. Just um, just chiming in from Melbourne down here, and it's really interesting just picking up on that that conversation there of um, yeah, you know, positioning and understanding and 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 some of the challenges with that. Yeah. What I always find interesting is when um, you know, just so if I'm working with an organisation and at regardless of size, and and this could be you know well and truly up into the you know, tens of millions, you know, pushing a hundred million. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and when we're looking, I guess, at the, at the um, organizational chart or the structure or, or, or whatever it is, but when we're getting into a little bit more of the planning for roles and responsibilities and succession planning mm -hmm. and things like that, we'll often pair through what, I, what we refer to as the functional chart and look at where the key responsibilities are in the organization and especially in the operational or the, or the revenue generating areas of the business. And what I find really interesting is that 
you know, whether they're kind of smaller businesses or, or edging into those medium-sized businesses, the, the marketing bubble is often a mystery with a question mark next to it. Like we don't do marketing or we don't do it well, or no one really has the responsibility for it, or we don't really even have a plan for it. What, you know, what, why do we see that? Like, it's still a black art. It's sort of seen as, as something a little bit nebulous to a lot of organizations. Do you find that? Yeah, I do find that, um, you know, I, I find that often and, and you'll find, businesses that are really established that have tried you know so many different ways out of over the years to kind of um solve the problem and and often it's because not that they can't find good marketers but there's something going on that's dysfunctional in the organization themselves that makes it very difficult for any good marketer to do their job um so you know clear agreement on strategy clear agreement on what the business challenges are that need to be solved clear agreement on a plan and signing off on a budget and, you know, agreeing that these are the issues you're going to address because unless you have that, you don't let marketing go and do its job. If, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting point around the budget, isn't it? Because there's no guaranteed outcome. So I guess, you know, owner operated businesses are, are a bit loath to commit money to something that they don't know is going to get them an outcome. Yeah, and I think I think the problem is is again it's that silver bullet approach is that often there's multiple outcomes with marketing. Yeah. So you know you want to increase your brand awareness. How do you measure that? And there's lots of multiple ways that you can actually measure that. You know, with Google now you can measure sort of how many people search for your brand. You can look at you know press mentions. You can look at referrals by people who've actually never used you, um, but are referring you because they've heard about you. You know, there's ways you can measure things like that. Um, you know, with social media as well, people go, well, I've, you know, to be honest, every business has to invest in social media now. It's, it's, a, it's, it's like having a shop and not putting a sign on your shop. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, people go, well, it takes a lot of time and I don't understand how I'm getting a return on it. But you've got to look at the fact that it's growing your audience. So again, it's growing your brand. What are you doing on social media to get those eyeballs into your database and then nurture them into a sale at some level? Um, you know, engagement is something as well. You know, it can help with employer branding by showcasing your culture and, you know, the way you work and the things that you do that make you a great place to work. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, it, it's sort of understanding that marketing can be measured in multiple ways and it's got a very broad function these days as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a challenge for a business when they're investing it. You've got to realise there's a return on lots of different levels. And I'd imagine then as a follow-on from that, um, it's not just the, the having the, the social media accounts, so to speak, that, that broaden your business um you know, cut through on, on, on all the platforms, but also then where to even place ads on social media and and how to use all the, the trickery and the, and the wizardry behind those apps and and getting your name, you know, embedded into people's search histories and all that's using the cookies properly and so on and so forth, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's part of why there's that question mark that you were talking about before um, in organizations when they're looking at the marketing bubble. And it's because, you know, it's, it's become such a, um, broad church um, in terms of, you know, all of the things that involve marketing. And if you look at social media and you look at digital and you look at digital advertising and things like omni-channel marketing and, and things like that, you know, no one person is going to be able to 
to understand to the depth um, that you need to, to be able to make those things effective. So you need someone who's almost like a conductor in an orchestra mm. who can understand, you know, what they, what they know and what they don't know, but also where to go and find, you know, the deep experience that they need and the specialists for those, but know enough to be able to interpret the data so that they can make meaningful strategic decisions about what's happening and also report back to the board or back to um, the senior leadership team, you know, what the outcomes are to make effective decisions. And, you know, I think, you know, people are tempted to go and hire sometimes a more junior marketer who's still going to look to them for direction on all of these things and who isn't going to have the depth of skill that they need. Whereas sometimes you probably need someone who's a bit more senior, but has quite a lot of general knowledge and is good at curious person who's good at tinkering things and keeping themselves up to date. Um, But, but knows enough to know what they don't know and how to go and find that expertise. Michelle, would I be correct in thinking then a way you would position yourselves as an outsourced marketing department? Yeah, an outsourced marketing department is exactly how we do position ourselves, but we are senior um, consultants. So, you know, we may work with more junior people to help with the implementation, but the person that is working with you is usually someone who's got, you know, 15 to 20 years experience under their belt. They would have to have, wouldn't they, to get their head around all the complexities of that you know marketing requires now. But they're going to need a lot of experience, yeah. Yeah, they're going to need a lot of experience, and they need to be very adaptable as well. Experience in terms of all of the different tactics and sort of understanding brand strategy and some of the, you know, the the kind of foundations of marketing, but also having enough diversity that they've worked across enough businesses and clients that they can quickly jump in and get their head around you know, the industry, the business, the challenges, um, those sorts of things. I think it's a really interesting point that they often get a really junior person to do this because they are unwilling to throw too much money at it. Yeah, I think, yeah. And and they also don't know what sort of level of experience they need sometimes. Yeah, well, they don't know what Um, they don't know, do they? Exactly. And, you know, often often a lot of really successful businesses are run by people who have a marketing background or, or they're intuitively excellent marketers, you know, um, or, or they've dabbled in quite a lot of marketing. So they have got, you know, they, they kind of, they, they know how to hustle from the very beginning and, and you know, quite good at, at sort of um, growth hacking or getting their, their brand out there in a fairly cost effective way. Um, before they can, you know, hire other people on their team who can run with it. Growth hacking, what's this lovely term? Oh, growth hacking is kind of a way of being everywhere (laughs) um, in a digital sense um, to get your brand out there and, you know, quickly grow. So, um, it's, it's, you know, it, it tends to be used more in startups. It's a term that's, you know, and, and companies that have only got a small amount of capital, they might be bootstrapping and growth hacking is a term that's used basically as a way of getting your brand out there um, without spending a lot of money. But it's just, you know, fancy term for marketing on a shoestring. <laughs> you, know where, you know where it belongs, Eggy, don't you? Well, you're going to tell me, right? front page centre of the bullshit bingo matrix. That one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, it's, it's, not, it's not good form to insult your guest. Um, 
Michelle, yeah. can you please tell me what what are you seeing um, now? And and I know that this probably doesn't even have an answer because mm-hmm. you know as a as a strategist in your own right, you're you're probably you know it's whatever fits for the client need. But yeah. you know what what's the biggest what's popular now? Like, you know, like at some point there was, everyone had to have a website. Then you mentioned social media. Um, you know, I remember back in the days when recruitment agencies would just hit the fax machines, like all day your yeah. fax was running off reams and reams of here's today's candidates type thing. Yeah. What do you see working now that maybe, maybe owner operators didn't see coming or, or they don't know about? Well, look, you know, it, it does really, um, depend very much on the industry but I think a lot of what's working now is going back to basics to be honest Mm. um you know in good times people get lazy about some of the fundamentals of you know of marketing and and you know often when times get tough it's about actually going back to basics so you know it's making sure your website is up to date and that your service descriptions are there and that it's really clear and easy to understand and that your packages and your products um, are easy that there's good um, lead magnets on your website so it's easy for people to have, make an inquiry mm. it's making sure you're doing your regular email newsletters and EDMs um, you know that it's a basic marketing tool but one of the most effective ones it is you know understanding client satisfaction and client care and keeping regular contacts with clients and customers mm. um, uh, it, it is, you know, brand and positioning, um, you know, is your, is your brand positioned appropriately for the current times? Um, you know, a, a lot of people at the moment, you know, particularly people who haven't been able to get to the shops to buy their favourite brand or haven't been able to access the services they normally would, they're on the internet looking everywhere for alternatives. Are you there where they're yeah. looking? And is it easy for them to research your products? Um, is there enough information? Yeah, it's look. It might be done in different ways, but but you know, I think a lot of it at the moment is about getting you know really getting back to basics. Um, what and- one of the things I've noticed, and and it's such it's you know if if our listeners can take anything like that last you know sixty seconds, two minutes of what you said was was mm. gold as far as I'm concerned because that's that you like you probably hit upon half a dozen things that and questions that people could take straight back into their management teams and go hang on you know are we doing let, let's get this out almost like a checklist <laughs> and mm. go, have we got this right first and then, yeah. and then worry about some fancy stuff after that uh really interesting about that whole point about are you being are you have you adapted to i guess people being are, are you searchable or, or are you where people are searching rather than the fact that people can't go into the shops anymore. Mm. Um, the one thing I noticed, um, not right at the start of, I guess, you know, COVID lockdown scenarios, depending, you know, what state you're in and, and how mm. hard your lockdown was. But um, one thing I noticed in the, especially in the last two or three months was just how all of a sudden the, the your email inbox became popular again for people to get their yeah. EDM out. It, it's mm. staggering that the, vol- like the volume of EDMs, in your into the email dropped right off over the last couple of years i reckon now yeah. it's gone through the roof because yeah. i think that was almost like the quickest thing that a lot of companies could do to get back in front of people mm, i think so and and you know the research showed that you know when lockdown happened that people wanted to hear from brands um they wanted to know what was available to them and mm. how brands were 
um, you know, adapting to the COVID regulations, making sure that their customers were safe, making sure their employees were safe, but also ways that they could be helpful. Um, so, you know, I, I agree. I noticed the same thing that there was a tsunami of sort of emails coming in that people had slacked off and then all of a sudden they realized they had to communicate with their, their mm. clients and customers. Um, and, and look, it's probably a great way to clean out your database. Those people who are yeah. just like, what? I haven't used those guys in years and getting rid of that. Yeah. Um, did that. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of businesses may see it as a bad thing because they had a lot of unsubscribes, but believe me, that's a good thing. It's yeah. much better to have a core group of customers who are engaged with you than, you know, be having a database full of rubbish. <laughs> it, it's it, it's interesting. Though. Well, a, a, it works because I can't think of the, you know, I, I had to actually chuckle to myself. Monday morning, I hadn't even got out of bed and I'd bought a pair of shoes. And... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and 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 the, the the funniest thing about it is I had no intention of buying shoes at all. Like I wasn't even on no. the radar. And and I go and it, as I did it, the transaction said, Oh, you know, thanks for your order. You'll get a follow-up email with the, you know, the tracking number and all that sort of stuff. The hell just happened it's quarter past seven in the morning i haven't even wiped my eyes and i've bought a pair of shoes this is cra- what what is going on no, that you bought yeah. new shoes and yeah. you can't go anywhere in them <laughs> well 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 see now, or they you ask the next or question you have to ask the next question you know what yes. what kind of shoes were they and they're actually well i'm gonna i'm gonna just jump in here for the listeners <laughs> and uh, i'm not going to cast stones here because i suffer from the same affliction but Pez does have a small shoe addiction. Oh. <laughs> not not actually small shoes. No, they do fit my feet, but it it, it is a small an addiction shoe. nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Pe- Pez and Mel DeMarcos, we're going to call you from now on. Yeah, it's a, it comes with the DNA, I think. He yeah. and I both have it, actually. Yeah, egg is the same. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the first thing we notice. If you're wearing crap shoes, you immediately discount that person as incredible. That's it. Yep. We can't see your feet, Michelle, so, you know. Um. Yeah. No, but I, I dress from the shoes up mostly because oh, you're sure. ha- there you happiness, go. happiness is a flat shoe day and <laughs> it's, um, it's all about, you know, happy feet, um, but, the, you know, the outfit has to fit the shoes. So. Yeah. Well, there you go. So. Um, just yeah. going back in your wonderful two-minute list there, Michelle, because um, mm. you might, might remember early on in the whole COVID thing when we did... Uh, podcast and I think out of that we said if you don't do any other one thing connect with your clients mm. um, yeah would you where would you put that Michelle yeah I, I do think connecting with your customers is absolutely key and I know that's you know what we did was basically bring all of our clients and say where are you at how can we help you you know understanding that clients we're going to have to scale back their marketing activity so that we could help them focus on the most important things um, and, and we had clients as well who just simply could not afford, um, you know, any services. So we helped them free of charge just to, you know, keep certain projects moving until they could recover and, and kind of, you know, start to see some green shoots and, and get things moving again. So I think the first thing I would say is how can you help? So not even just connecting, but go to a place of empathy and think about well, what are your client's biggest challenges and how can you actually be helpful? Um, you know, we did a weekly newsletter for a, sort of a series of five weeks during the, the harshest part of lockdown where we were 
trying to, you know, give helpful tips to businesses and a bit of inspiration about how they could, um, you know, continue to keep their brand alive through that period, um, as well as, you know, those conversations we had with clients. So I think, you know, going to a place of care first and foremost, you know, it's great to contact your clients, but if you're basically just trying to do the hard sell, then you're actually going to put them offside. You need to go to a place of immediate empathy and understand what's happening in their environment, what are their challenges, where's their pain, and what can you do to help? Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and, and that's why I think that, that one of the other things we also discussed earlier on, Eggie, was the, the, um, the cynical, um, you know, we're, we're with you emails and stuff you're getting during mm. the start of COVID. Like, I mean, did I really need to hear from the City Link Authority who charged me for my e-tag as I'm going down the freeway that, they're, you know, they're with me side by side during COVID, yeah. you know? No, yeah, I, I, think what you, I think what you've got to say is this sucks. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this sucks, and this is how I'm finding it. This is what I'm finding really challenging. Don't know about you, but no, but but I think you know, making people laugh or going to a place where you sit beside them and say, I know this is actually really hard, and I'm not actually, I can't make it any better, but I understand it's it's hard. And these are some of the you know, I in the newsletter that we did, like we said, weekly during that period of time. You know, I talked about how I was almost going around the bend having to, you know, be stuck at home working from home with three teenagers doing online learning. Like I didn't even talk about business. I just went to a place of connection and you can only connect with people if you are being authentic and, and, and having empathy, I think. Yeah. No, that's, um, I think that's just outstanding advice, Michelle. Remember, Pez, um, early on when Mark gave that example, you know, my mate, the market researcher. Mark Kennedy. Sorry? Mark Kennedy. Good podcast. Check it out, people. Yep. He gave the example of McDonald's, had a tilt at this, and it came across as just absolutely bullshit marketing. Mm. And they picked this up, and then they started offering people who were doing drive-through where they could buy staples at McDonald's like milk, eggs, and other things. Yes. See, now you're talking. Yeah. Switch them straight up there. Yeah. How can I help people? How can I use a service or an asset that I already have to be truly helpful? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, so then now post COVID, because, you know, I Mm. think, you know, the the fog is starting to lift in Australia, especially kind of lifted in six of the states and territories and and Mm. the the last remaining ones about to lift very shortly. Um, Yeah. What's going to be the the way forward for a lot of businesses with their marketing efforts now that we don't really need to, and and this is going to sound uh, you know a tad cynical, but we don't need to ramp up the empathy piece and the usefulness stuff. It's the how do we actually get back to doing some traditional stuff that that does connect with the audience in the right way, given that the the atmosphere has changed. Um, what what do you see is probably the next trends to uh, coming out the other side? Well, I think one thing is that people will get really close to their numbers again. Um, you know, everyone's taken a bit of a hit and is feeling a bit wounded. Um, but in terms of recovery, it's really understanding, like, what are the key metrics in the business that drive, you know, the outcome? So, you know, one of my clients is, 
you know, in, in the business of, of recruiting and, and they, they know that unless there's a certain number of calls made each week by their recruiters and there's a certain number of interviews booked, they're not going to get the number at the end of the week. So, you know, it's understanding first what those metrics are and then how marketing drives and delivers to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's the, the, the first thing that we'll start to see is that businesses will, you know, get back to basics to say it again, like really understand what are the core drivers of their business in terms of, um, you, you know, what are the measures that achieve the outcome? Like people say, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, are you measuring getting on the scales isn't the driver? It's no. not that it's not that it's not the measurement that drives the outcome. The measurement that drives the outcome is the amount of steps you take each day, the amount of calories you consume, and yeah. that's what drives the end game. So it's it's understanding those lead measures, um, or the first thing, and then you know your marketing needs to kind of work back from that, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's it's perfect sense. I mean, you have to have a commitment to an action plan because the results aren't going to turn up next week, are they? No, the results aren't going to turn up next week. So you need to understand, you know, what are the drivers and what are those lead measures? Because Mm. some results will, you know, I think it is a bit like going looking at the big picture, but also going, what do we do this week marketing wise to to move that lead measure, to move that needle up a bit more, whatever it might be, you know, do we need to do a special offer? Do we need to do a campaign? Do we need to incentivize our sales team? to make those calls or do we put an incentive out there um, that, you know, for referrals or whatever it might be. Um, Yeah. yeah, But it's, it's understanding, you know, what those lead indicators are in a business and then, you know, letting your marketing team work to those indicators. That's what's going to start the recovery. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, it's, you know, looking at some of those bigger things, you know, like positioning, is it, are you positioned appropriately in, in the market that we're going back into? Mm-hmm. Um, on that, Michelle, know, on that point, yeah. how, this might be a little hard to answer. Do you think businesses will have to drastically change their positioning or not? I think it depends on the business you're in, yeah. largely. I, I don't think... I don't think that's a one-size-fits-all answer. No, I don't think it is either. Yeah. Quite a big thing to reposition, obviously. I mean, businesses do it often. Cracking mm. example. Did anyone watch uh, Gruen the other night? Okay. They were looking at the case study of Dove soap. Oh, Dove, yes. Dove beauty soap. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing was that they were talking about, and it's in that context of um, repositioning, mm. was that they've spent years positioning their soap away from being soap. Yes, the beauty bar, and yes. now when COVID hit, yeah. people weren't necessarily looking for beauty; they're actually looking for hygiene and going back because yes. everyone's got to wash their hands. So now they had to reposition back to being yes. soap. Yeah, it was, it was a fascinating conversation and a great example, Eggy, of that you know that repositioning um, because of the the circumstances we're in. And then once we'll get through this, then they'll reposition back to being a beauty product again. Well, they might but but they I might think have. underneath the beauty product, there was always authenticity. That was yeah. what Dove stood for. So and, it was about real yeah. beauty. And so yeah. they, they quickly, they were, they were able to get away with that going back to the soap and the cleanliness and the hygiene message yeah. because of their authentic voice. They had permission to do that. 
and, and so and, that's why yeah. and that's where the conversation that. went because that, they were talking about how the, there was the authenticity and the trust behind it yeah um that allowed them to actually do that because if it was just another brand that had a cynical switch yeah um, i don't know that it would have worked that well they might no i think you i think you're right yeah so that's they about this sure. real beauty yeah. with real hygiene well, I think that comes down to your, your pillars of your brand yes, and versus positioning. So, mm -hmm. so what they've understood was what their foundations of their brand are. And it was about, you know, authenticity is, is a huge one. And that's why real beauty, you know, Dove has always been real beauty. Um, so, so because they were quickly going, well, we know it's not about beauty at the moment. We know what you really need. Everyone needs to wash their hands. And we're not going to tell you to buy soap. We're going to give some soap away. But also what we're going to do is, is educate people on how to wash their hands mm. um, with those videos that they just put out. And, um, you know, they could do that because they understood their brand pillars and, yeah. you know, stayed true to that. So, so there you go. Yeah. I actually did homework for this podcast. You did. Luckily, I at least knew about the Dove campaign. <laughs> You're on it then, Michelle. So clearly they were empathetic and helpful. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so just going, sort of doing a bit of a circle here, you said one of the critical things is go back to basics mm. and look at your numbers. Mm. Probably is one thing you could do. Any other criticals? Uh, might be good examples there, by the way. I, I think client and customer care is really important as well. So, you know, at the moment, a lot of people are suffering uh, for whatever reason. You know, life is a bit tougher. It could be, you know, people could have kept their jobs, but, you know, perhaps they are homeschooling or, you know, COVID has brought in other stresses, whatever they might be. And I think, um you know, gentle hands when it comes to clients and customers and making people feel really cared for and valued um, is really important. So, you know, it might be a great time to, to under, you know, dive deep into your net promoter scores if you're doing them and, and talk to the, the neutrals or the dissatisfied customers to get a sense of why that is. Um, you know, doing client satisfaction surveys or, you know, getting feedback from clients and customers about their general levels of happiness and satisfaction, I think, is really important what, at what the, the moment. Uh, and it's a good point because um, mm. I, I actually get asked quite a bit when it comes to understanding the voice of the customer around their, their satisfaction, mm. uh, what, what are a couple of useful tactics there? Um, you know, do, do you propose, is there like a, a, a very quick question they can use or is it a, a net promoter thing or is it a long-winded survey? I mean, how do you, how do you go from not having any um, process around understanding the customer to having some process that is useful. What, what do you, if you could just, you know, almost leave us with a couple of quick, quick tips there, what, what would you say? Well, I think Net Promoter is a great one because it is super simple and, mm. you know, often the simple things are the best and it's, it's pretty easily implemented these days as well. Um, yeah. You know, tools like SurveyMonkey have standard Net Promoter um, you know, surveys in there and it, it's pretty easy to set up. Um, so, you know, a net promoter is one simple question, you know, how likely are you to recommend yeah. product or service XYZ to um, a family member or a friend? And, you know, it's, it's a, a tried and tested and understood system. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a world leader for, for a good reason. And it's also something that builds value in your business. You know, it's a metric that people understand and the higher your net promoter score is the, the more valuable your business is basically. Um, and, and the more likely you are to grow. So, you know, as a basic one, that would be the one that I would recommend. Um, you know, but you can also track things like Google reviews, yep. uh, and, and get people like encouraged as part of your totally, conversations. Yeah. you know, get on Google and, and, and review us. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I've seen that with, you know, just the local Sparky that I've used now is um, sending a lovely email after their level of service, you know, after, after their service and, and asking, you know, if you've had a great experience, would you mind leaving us a quick review? And the link is in the, email yeah. and you know they back themselves to know they're going to get that but those those sorts of things you know really help with your online presence and setting you apart from other people but that is more of i would say a marketing tool than, than a real measure of um oh, you know c- customer or client satisfaction yep but it's it's definitely one that i would be um you know advocating as as a good basic easy to implement tool for for bulk of businesses out there and then it's also about following up the Google reviews as well. So if, if you're encouraging people to, you know, go and make some commentary, yeah. whatever review platform you use, also then responding to it. If, if there's, a, you know, uh, something that is a little bit sort of um, below the standard you would expect, go on there and, and respond to that and not just leave it as in the ether. Yeah, I, I would agree. So respond to any sort of negative reviews, even if you try and get it taken offline, because you 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 know there are always nutbags out there. To be yeah. honest, um, but most people will look at reviews, and if they see one bad review and you know forty good ones, they understand. Well, that's the nutbag. Yeah. Uh, but I think you know respond to the negative ones, but also respond to the positive ones. Yeah. You know, what that does is it increases your engagement and it actually takes up more real estate, you know, in terms of responses on the page. It means you're rated as being highly responsive as a business. Um, so, you know, the negative ones, yes, handle them so it doesn't get out of hand, but the positive ones respond to those as well. Eggy, do you think if someone gives you a negative review, Michelle, it, it's them wanting you to respond and fix something? In other words, if you can convert someone who gave you a negative review, you'll probably have a client for life. Would that be fair? I think in some cases, yes, absolutely. If you respond quickly and you respond appropriately and you go above and beyond, you, you can turn it around. And, you, you know, I've seen that online. We've all seen that where someone's complained about something and then they've been sent something you know, in the post or, um, you know, it's been handled incredibly well and, and, you know, again, people rave about that on social media and, you know, it can not only turn things around for that particular client or customer, but it can create a positive brand perception for everyone else that they know. I mean, nothing you do is private anymore, is it? No. Mm. No, you only have to talk about something and next minute you're getting ads for it in your in your streams, aren't you? Oh, Correct, Tamondo. Well, it happens because your phone is listening to you and it's got algorithms that... Yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> I'm just scared about how quickly it does happen. I must say, uh, it's terrifying in some it's level. Terrifying. It's deep. Yeah. Deep. <laughs> hey, Egg. You know, you know, Michelle just took us through there with um with Net Promoter and encouraging for Google reviews. Yeah. There are a couple of growth hacks. 
Yes. <laughs> correct. They are a couple of growth hacks. That's exactly you. You're all over this. I should. I feel like you know, skateboarding down the street or something, or you know, going to play yeah. table tennis in my boardroom. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You're an official growth hacker now. You've got now, to wear a baseball cap next podcast. Yeah, and you know, get some sort of mutton chops or or something. You know, just so you've already had them. Yes, I just think that. I, I know you probably need to just grow a bigger beard, a bit more hipster now with the growth hacking. Yeah, I, look, I, I live on the outskirts of Brunswick here in Victoria, so you know, yes, you don't need to talk to me about hipsters. This is like, this is like the MCG of hipsters. This yeah. is you know, the Vatican City of hipsters. <laughs> Don't Michelle, do you yes, you've covered everything. Is there anything else you'd like to add in? Oh, look, I could probably I know talk all day, but, you know, I think that would bore everyone rigid. And I think, too, the thing is, is it's, it's not about telling people all the possible things that you could do. Because to be honest, you know, most small business owners will just want to weep. Um, you know, they're busy enough. They're busy enough as it is. Uh, was that weep? Weep, yes, mm. that was weep. So... You know, they're, they're busy enough as it is, but I do think it, you know, is that sort of get back to basics, do the right things well, make sure your online presence is, is shiny and slick and seamless, simple. Um, and, you know, don't try and do too many things. Understand what you're about, you know, understand your clients and customers. Take deep care of them in terms of, that empathic approach to marketing and, and good marketers do have a lot of empathy. You know, that's, that's part of what makes them good at their job. Um, and, and, you know, really deeply have your marketing meet those needs and your messages, I think. Um, and, you know, there's a gazillion different ways to do it, AKA the growth hacking. Um, but, you know, if that's what's driving it from a fundamental point of view, then you're gonna go okay. Brilliant. Bloody brilliant. Mm.